Let's open in our Bibles to the book of Acts, the New Testament, and to chapter 15. Our text this morning is Acts chapter 15, verses 22 through 41. The topic we'll see is that the church arrived at a united opinion about what was necessary in order to be saved. But when Paul and Barnabas decided to go back to the churches they established with that good news, they divided over whether or not to take John Mark with them. The title of our message, United We Stand, Divided We Sprawl. Well, because they formed two missions teams and they kind of sprawled out, sort of. Kind of loses something if you have to explain it, I know, but. (laughs) Verse 22, and then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, seem good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Then after some days, Paul uh, said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray. Lord, we're your church here in Hanford, and we desire to be strengthened. We want to rejoice. I pray that we would understand how you want to speak to us this morning through this a passage of Scripture, as we see agreement and disagreement, as we see ministry flourishing. Do a great work, a a mighty work, a, a personal work in each and every heart. Knit us together in love that we might reach this community, this county, with the name of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. There's a saying that's been around the church for at least five centuries. 
Its intent is to promote unity by keeping peace among believers. It goes like this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity, or we would say today, love. There are certain essentials that all believers must agree upon. The deity of Jesus Christ, His virgin birth, His incarnation as fully human yet fully God, His physical resurrection from the dead. These cannot ever be compromised. There are always going to be non-essentials. Style of worship is a good example of a non-essential. It changes with the times and it reflects various cultural and generational differences among people. Whether we disagree about essentials or non-essentials, we should do it with love. That's not to say we are soft when folks deny the essential doctrines of Christianity. It is to say that we love them too much to not correct them from the Bible. One essential doctrine in our text this morning is that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. There is no room for adding good works of any kind. Any person or group that adds good works is presenting another gospel, a different gospel, a false gospel. One non-essential in our text this morning is who you take with you on a missions trip. Paul and Barnabas were united on the essential, but sharply divided over the non-essential. It is recorded in the Bible as one of those real moments that doesn't sugarcoat the difficulties of getting along with one another within the church. I'm going to organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, your church is strengthened when there is accord among believers. And number two, your church need not be weakened when there is discord among believers. First of all, in verses 22 through 32, your church is strengthened when there is accord among believers. Certain men from the church at Jerusalem had traveled to the church at Antioch to tell the Gentile believers that they must now be circumcised and keep the law of Moses and the customs of Moses in order to be truly saved. In other words, salvation was by grace through faith plus works. It caused no small problem in the church. Paul and Barnabas and a few others from Antioch traveled back to Jerusalem with these troublemakers to meet with the apostles and the elders of the church. We looked at their meeting in our last study. They determined to tell Gentiles that God was definitely not putting any burden upon them of converting to Judaism or keeping the customs of Moses. Salvation was and is by grace alone through faith alone. And so we pick it up. Uh, In verse 22, as our text continues with the report of the meeting being taken back to the church at Antioch, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who is also named Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. Men claiming authority from the apostles and elders at Jerusalem had been the source of this misinformation, and so the leaders thus determined to send two guys who really did have their authority to clear things up and to make sure that uh, when the letter was read, they could substantiate and confirm that this was the decision that was arrived at. Verse 23, they wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. 
Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, at the beginning of the letter they say, hey, look, by the way, we didn't tell those guys that. Uh, if, if you're in any kind of position of authority or leadership or management, out, whether it's in the church or outside, you know what this is all about. People are always speaking for you. Oh, Gene said this to me. No, I didn't. Or, you know, so-and-so said this, and, and no, I didn't say that. Or if I did, it was way out of context. I like watching some of this stuff where they take speeches that people make and, you know, word here and there, take it out of context. and put it. It's okay if it's on a late-night talk show, but it's not so good when it's a critical issue in your life. And so, so they say, look, these guys, they said they had authority from us. They didn't. We want to clear that up. And then there's a mention of these men who had risked their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's in recognition of their calling and of their faithfulness to their calling. Now, ministers and missionaries still risk their lives in certain parts of the world. And those that do not have often sacrificed their lives that they may uh, serve the Lord. The point isn't that we should glorify ministers and missionaries. The point is that when there is a decision to be made or when there is a dispute to be resolved, we might want to put more weight on what these men have to say who have invested their lives in the work. Or at the very least, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. And so in verse 27, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Those words, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, incredibly important. This was not a human decision. A group of guys didn't get together and invent the doctrines of the Christian religion. God himself revealed the truth about salvation. The leaders and the laity simply acknowledged what had been revealed for centuries through the word of God. And so God begins speaking to us in the Garden of Eden, and we have the record of it in the word of God, the inspired scriptures. And the church didn't decide these things. The church recognized what God had already said. Very, very important. There are definite essentials of the Christian faith. They're not invented by men. They are revealed by God in his word. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Now, these suggestions we saw last time we were together are not theological. They are sociological. They're not adding anything to the gospel. They're opening the door to Jews and Gentiles being able to have fellowship with each other to sit down and share a meal with one another. Gentiles need not offend Jews socially by flaunting their cultural differences as liberties they enjoyed. And, and this is the same today if you travel to other cultures, uh, even whether as a missionary or just as a person, uh, there are always things that you uh, need to be told about not offending people in those cultures, especially if you're an American, uh, you know, because we have this uh, kind of 
brashness and boldness as Americans, although there are a lot ruder people than Americans in the world, and I won't mention who they are because I'd be in trouble. But anyway, you know, so you don't want to offend people in other cultures. You, you, you want to know what's going on. One thing I learned uh, in my travels, and, and you know, you'd think somebody would tell you this, there are substances that are legal in some countries that are illegal in other countries. Uh, and you don't want to be carrying them back and forth between countries. Uh, and and uh, so just even some over-the-counter medications that you can buy in other countries without a prescription are controlled substances in the United States. You really don't want to be bringing quantities of those back with you across the borders. And so you want to be careful about those things. And so that's all James in the, the letter says, just, hey, let's, let's get along socially. The theological issue is settled. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. But uh, we still need to get along in our culture. And so verse 30, so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. When they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. When we last left the church at Antioch, some days or months before, they were in quite a serious dilemma. Uh, the whole church was racked with this, this problem. D- do we need to also become Jews before we're truly saved? Do we need to be circumcised? I often wonder if while the, uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas and this delegation were down in Jerusalem talking to the, the church down there, if some of the Gentile believers in Antioch didn't go ahead and get circumcised. Might as well cover all our bases, right? I've heard people say that before. We, you know, I'll tell people, well, you know, the Bible doesn't say that you should baptize infants. We believe in adult baptism. And they say, well, we're going to do that anyway and cover all our bases. We'll sprinkle them when they're babies and then we'll have them baptized. And so, so, you know, we'll have it all covered. Uh, and so people do that. And so I could, uh, this was a troubling time for the church at Antioch. And so when they come back and tell them the news... Man, this is a cause for rejoicing. There are no additional burdens, no obstacles to enjoying their personal relationship with God. God isn't in a corner somewhere with his arms folded waiting for them to be circumcised, waiting for them to keep the Sabbath, waiting for them to change their diet so that they can have real fellowship with him. Often in our zeal to help others, we add things to the gospel. We mean well, but it's not a good thing to do. It's important that we encourage one another to continue in the grace of God. And so in verse 32, now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. As I've told you before, in the first century, before we had the completed uh, word of God, the Bible, God spoke authoritatively through men who held the office of a prophet. There is no office of prophet today. There is the gift of prophecy, which when exercised in the church is always to be judged against what the Bible has already said. Now, the Bible warns that winds of false and misleading doctrines will blow through the church. The picture I get is like one of these meteorologists out in the hurricanes, you know, during hurricane season, they always try and see you know, I think they have a competition among meteorologists to see how, how high of a wind they could be out in and still do their report. And occasionally you see these kind of funny videos where they're just blown away because they get this gust of wind and it blows them by. And this is kind of the picture. The church is, take a church at Antioch, for example, saved, reaching out to surrounding regions. Everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, these men, just a few people come in and say, oh, hey, by the way, 
hey, you guys need to be circumcised and keep the Sabbath and you're eating the wrong foods. And it's like a wind that knocks everybody down and causes great devastation in the church as people try to recover and try to figure out what's really going on. Then the Bible says that in the last days there will be doctrines of demons. Wow, just when I thought it was safe to go to church. The demons have their own school of theology. They go to seminary and they graduate. And then they link up with some people who are open to that kind of a thing. And they come up with some crazy doctrine that infiltrates the church of Jesus Christ. And it begins uh, to, to poison people with uh, this false and misleading doctrine. And so all this tells us that it is important that we are understanding of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. And that we realize there are essential doctrines that we can never waver from. And that if you're a Christian, this is what you have to believe. And you discover them, we discover them, as we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and encounter them in the whole counsel of the Word of God. And the other thing, correct Orthodox Bible doctrine causes you to rejoice. Because it always gives you a clearer picture of the person and nature of God. There's nothing about God you need fear as a believer. It's not that we don't have the fear of God in a proper, reverential, loving, respectful sense. But there's nothing we need fear about God. And a lot of times you can discern these doctrines of demons, these false doctrines, because there is a, a, a kind of a pricking in your spirit that this person or this teaching is telling me that God is angry with me. God is upset with me. I'm not right with God until I do certain things. And, and it's putting a distance between you and God when that is all been reduced now by the grace of God. And so uh, very important that we have correct Orthodox Bible doctrine, that we rejoice in the character, the person, and the nature of God, and that we neither add or subtract from the essentials. Now, having said that, there are going to be non-essentials, and we're going to see in verse 33 through 41, your church need not be weakened When there is discord among believers, the church at Antioch, as I mentioned, had been nearly wrecked by the false doctrine of the Judaizing teachers from Jerusalem. After hearing the report from Jerusalem, they were back on track. The problem they would next face was a non-essential issue. There are lots of those. People are not always going to agree. In fact, they will often have very sharp disagreement. It is to be expected. And so in verse 33... And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And so these are three great verses. You see that they got back to the spiritual business of the church. They had gotten off track, no ministry, no outreach. Let's solve this issue. Now that it was resolved, then they got back to teaching and preaching, uh, Other people were being added to the ministry team. Other people were being raised up with gifts. Now, we know from earlier studies that the leaders in Antioch always prayed and fasted over direction and decisions. The Holy Spirit released the delegation from Jerusalem to return. He led Silas to remain. Paul and Barnabas went back to teaching and preaching the word of God, and many others were receiving gifts to minister as well. It's necessary for everyone to be on the same page with regard to doctrine. 
it's nice when everyone is on the same page with regard to ministry. Non-essentials are not essential, but it makes more sense for everyone to be working together to implement the Holy Spirit's strategy and direction for that particular church. There will, however, always be moments of discord among brothers and sisters. We don't hear God perfectly, and sometimes we have very different ideas about how to implement the Holy Spirit's direction for the church. And so discord rang out in Antioch, verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. The Gentiles in the churches Paul and Barnabas had established desperately needed to hear the good news that salvation was by grace alone through faith alone because these Judaizing teachers were also going out to the outlying regions and spreading this false doctrine. Paul began planning a mission. He invited Barnabas to go with him and revisit the churches they had established. Barnabas was in. At some point in the planning phase, Paul found out that Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. Now, I don't know how this happened, but I hope it wasn't an ambush or what we would call an ambush. You know, Paul, you know, texting Barnabas and saying, hey, meet me at Panera. Okay, I'll be right there. And uh, Paul, you know, with all of his charts and graphs and ready to plan, all of a sudden Barnabas walks in with John Mark. So if you're Paul, like, well... Maybe they just happen to be together, you know, after all, he is his cousin and stuff. At some point, you know, you get the understanding that Barnabas is planning to take John Mark with him. And and I only mention that because sometimes we do that, we ambush people. Uh, You know, we we catch them at a weak moment. We we do something that we know they're not going to like because, you know, without asking them, we hope that we can sneak it through. Uh, And it's just not good because it creates even more discord than just disagreeing one with another. Just be honest up front. You know, don't try and sneak anything through on your agenda. Don't do this at work. Don't do it in the church. Just be, you know, hey, this is what I want to do. Let's talk about that. And so at any rate, Paul and Barnabas, they're planning this trip. Barnabas is determined to take with them John called Mark. Luke reminds us that John Mark had abruptly deserted them on the first missions trip, Paul was disinclined to acquiesce to Barnabas's request. He said no. It's an old Pirates of the Caribbean joke. I'm trying up here. Anyway, Barnabas, true to his big spiritual heart, probably wanted to encourage his young cousin by giving him another chance. Paul, true to his big spiritual vision, did not want to be hindered by someone who had proven unfaithful. I mean, these are the last two guys in that church that you would expect to have discord. I'll bet if we pulled our group here this morning, we'd be split over who was right. I say that because the commentators are split as well. Some go as, uh, so far as to suggest that Paul was acting in a selfish, uncaring, unchristlike manner. Imagine what this would do to poor John Mark to be discarded like that by the Apostle Paul. Okay? Imagine what it might do to the 
poor John Mark going on his second trip and flaking out a second time and having to be sent back. I mean, you know, we, we really can't say. And so who was right? Well, neither man was right, neither man was wrong, because this is a non-essential issue of how to do ministry. It's not about the gospel, it's how to take the gospel to these areas. I can understand Barnabas wanting to give John Mark his second chance, but I can totally relate with Paul that a second chance didn't mean John Mark needed to go on their second mission and prove himself a liability. Now, for me, if I have to vote, I'm with Paul. The priority was the mission, not the man. Paul faced the prospect of beatings, imprisonments, and stonings. He didn't need to be concerned about holding John Mark's hand on this kind of a trip. Hey, look, you know, give Paul the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to hope that he took Barnabas aside and said, Barney, I know what you're trying to do. I love the kid, but... Do you remember when I was drug out of Lystra, stoned, and left as dead? He would have been a big help right about then. But he left us. He deserted us. And Barnabas, oh, Paul, come on. He's grown since then. I'll watch over him. I'll be personally responsible for him. And, and I mean, I can understand this. And, but for me, I'm with Paul because you, you don't need to go on another trip, especially this kind of a trip. I mean, when you've traveled with the apostle Paul... It was serious. It wasn't just missing a plane or losing your passport. I mean, you, you were losing your life. You were being stoned to death, imprisoned, uh, robbed, you left for naked, shipwrecked. Uh, you needed a seasoned veteran to go with you. And so that's why I'm with Paul. Disciple John Mark in another way. Give him a smaller mission to go back on. And so anyway... This very thing is often the cause of discord in the church. Some put the priority on the mission, others on the man. Why should the bigger mission suffer just to encourage one man or a small group of men and women? But at the same time, isn't the Lord interested in that one man or that one group? And so we find in verse 39 that the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. I point out that these are strong words of disagreement. That doesn't mean that they were raising their voices or yelling at one another or causing a scene or stomping out of the room. Not at all. I think sometimes we get that impression because we're familiar with that kind of behavior in our own, uh, sadly, sometimes churches, but certainly out in the world. It means that they could not and would not agree on the proper way to conduct this second mission. There was no reasonable amount of time they could wait in order to reach an accord. The more time they waited, the less likely the mission would occur at all. The Gentiles in the outlying regions desperately needed to hear the word from Jerusalem and be strengthened. Now, there will always be disagreement within the church on exactly how to conduct our mission. It is absolutely unavoidable. But it need not cripple us the way doctrinal disagreement would. Ministry can go forward. I saw that. (laughs) Verse 39, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, instead of one mission, there would be two. Praise the Lord. Is this what the Holy Spirit intended all along? I'd have to say no. But God is not to be thwarted by discord. He can use it. 
He can work despite conflict. And so it would be wrong to say that God brought about the discord because he really wanted them to split into two. It's better to just say this is what happened and, the, and God is bigger than that and was able to use that. And, and so since they couldn't agree, uh, they agreed to disagree agreeably, I think. And so instead of one mission, there would be two. I would side with Paul, but I can't say that Barnabas was wrong. I do see that Paul and Silas were commended by the brethren for their journey, while there is no corresponding commendation for the Barnabas-John Mark team. Always want to be careful with an argument from silence. Just because it doesn't say they commended him doesn't mean he didn't. But this would have been the place to say that, that the church commended both teams. And I can say that Barnabas is not mentioned again in the book of Acts. But I'm quick to add that as you read through the New Testament, you find that these three men were all involved with one another in later years. Their discord over the how-to of ministry was not cause for them to break fellowship. A lot of times when you're reading commentaries, uh, the, the guys, especially the guys who think that Paul was wrong for not taking John Mark, will tell you that later in his life he reconciled with John Mark, he reconciled with Barnabas. I don't know that they needed reconciliation. All it says here is that they had strong feelings about how to do ministry, and they couldn't agree, and so they went in two different directions preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that they split the church. It doesn't say that they wrote nasty letters to each other. They didn't go out and, you know, write things in the paper or anything. I mean, they just didn't agree, and so they went separate ways. What's to be reconciled over? Later on, you see them ministering again in different capacities. Paul talking about John Mark being profitable to him and all that. And so I think sometimes we read into things uh, our own understanding of things. And and I I really think we need to elevate our understanding that people disagree. There are a lot of ways of doing ministry and missions. That's why there's so many churches, for example, good churches. Good churches. Because we don't agree on exactly how to minister to people. One church isn't right while the other is wrong. We just don't, you know, agree. For example, and this is one that I can talk about that I think you'll all appreciate. We at Calvary Chapel traditionally have not uh, asked for money. We don't talk a lot about money. We don't beg you for money. We don't have financial campaigns and things like that. And I think you appreciate that. I appreciate that. I appreciate not having to beg you for money. You appreciate not being begged for money. Other churches do this. Are they right? Are we wrong? We just do things differently, that's all. I'm not saying they're wrong. I find it uh, uncomfortable. I find it distasteful, personally. But that's none of my business, what another church wants to do when it comes to their building project or their general fund or things like that. Uh, And and so we as Christians often believe that these non-essential areas are areas of right and wrong. And we fight about them as if they were the deity of Jesus Christ. And we divide over them. That's not what these men did. They just said, Paul said, I am not taking John Mark. And so therefore, you're not going with me. And Barnabas said, I am taking John Mark. So we're going to go a different way. And apparently they figured out where each other was going so that they did. I mean, it wasn't like Paul took Silas and then Barnabas got there right after him to give a real ministry. 
or vice versa. And so there, I see agreement even in their discord. It's better for the church for there to be one accord even in the non-essentials. When there's discord, I suggest we try to get an accord. But sometimes that's never going to happen. If we can't get an accord, let's follow the leaders. Among the leaders, let's defer to those who are most invested in the ministry, the men who have risked or in most modern cases at least sacrificed their lives for the sake of the ministry. Let's never allow discord to weaken the church either internally or in its mission to those outside. I was doing this study and I was remembering a time, actually I have thousands of stories I could tell you thousands then that's just from last week but uh no i have a bunch of stories but i remember at a time i was uh, down at calvary san bernardino uh and uh there were uh, four of us as elders and our pastor and we were kind of we were the leadership group that made decisions and uh, we had just bought the building uh and we were in our building project and it was a very difficult building project extremely difficult because we had no money I mean, we had absolutely no money. We could barely pay the mortgage. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, that's another story, but there we were. And so we're in this building project. Well, it got towards summertime. Every summer for uh, as long as anybody could remember, Calvary Chapel of San Bernardino would put on a summer concert series in a beautiful outdoor amphitheater at Paris Hill Park in San Bernardino. Uh, and we'd have all the current Christian bands come through, uh, Parable, Sweet Comfort Band, Mustard Seed Faith, Odin Fong, you know, all these great groups that some of you have never heard of, real music. But anyway, and we'd have these people come through, uh, it's where I first met Dennis Agajanian, as a matter of fact, and, and so, so we had this concert series, and so the question came up, are we going to do the summer concerts because we have the building project going on? And uh, I knew the answer to that. The answer was no, because we have no money to pay these bands and hire, you know, all the things that need done. And, and God has changed our focus and direction for right now. We're focusing on the building project. And myself and one of the other guys felt very strongly about that. We were flabbergasted that the other two guys felt just as strongly that just because you're getting into a building doesn't mean we're going to quit doing ministry it doesn't matter that we don't have any money. God will provide the money. So, yes, let's have the summer concert series. And we talked and we talked and we talked. I mean, we were all friends, good friends, but nobody was going to budge. I tried every kind of technique. I tried getting them to leave the room and vote while they were gone. I tried hypnosis. Uh, you know, anything that I could do to get them to see the truth of my position. And so finally, when we exhausted ourselves, and it was clear that no one was going to give an inch, and we didn't really vote, we just came to an accord, I looked at John, our pastor, and I said, well, John, uh, we can't decide, so you decide, and whatever you decide, we'll do. And he was, like, blown away, and then he pulled a Solomon on us. He said, well, let's divide it, we'll do two instead of four of the summer concerts, uh, and, and that's what we did. Now, to this day, I know that that was the wrong decision. <laughs> I will never admit or agree that we should have done that. However, we did that. God blessed that. The building project went on. The concerts were a success. 
The other guys who think that we should have done all four concerts, they still feel just as strongly that we should have done all four concerts. And it sounds funny because it was like 25 years ago. But these are the issues that absolutely blow up churches. Non-doctrinal, non-essential issues of how we are going to do a certain ministry. And what we do is we feel so passionate about it that we feel like we are either right or wrong. And that's not it at all. There's lots of room for discord within the church and for real conversation about doing something. There are going to be times when a decision cannot be voted on or reached upon. And at that time, that's when it gets, as we like to say, dicey. And you have to figure out who or how that decision is going to be made. And, and, uh, you know, but the bottom line is uh, churches don't need to have uh, real problems because there's discord. They don't need to split. Uh, and we just need to understand that this is the way things are going to be. I understand this. Uh, and and I've, I've been on both sides of it. I've been the person who's had to say, well, I'm glad to hear your opinion. And I know you hold it strongly, but we're not doing that. And I, for many years, as I told you, was on the other side of that. I had to book all of those concerts. I, had to, I was the administrator of all those concerts. Once the decision was reached, it was over as far as I was concerned, even though I still believe I'm right. So what? I mean, it wasn't like our pastor got up and said that he no longer believed in the deity of Christ or that the Bible wasn't the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God. I mean, it had nothing. It was just, are we going to have concerts or not? Are we going to do this at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock? Are we going to have one service or two? I mean, there's a million issues like that. And we, just, we, we can be passionate and concerned about them. And then we can submit to one another and to the Lord and press forward and see people blessed. Father, we do thank you for these things. And Lord, I pray that we would see Paul and Barnabas and their conflict in a new light. Not as two men who needed a reconciliation of personal fellowship, but just two guys who couldn't agree on how to do a mission. You overcame it. You used both teams. Uh, Lord, the church went on. We don't read of any split or division in the church or later on of, of any animosity between these men. Lord, I pray that we would have that kind of a maturity. And Lord, that you would keep us doctrinally grounded that we would know and appreciate and rejoice over the fundamental, essential, orthodox doctrines of our faith, that we would love those, Lord, who are outside the church or who are undermining those things but never give ground. We'd love them so much that we correct them and bring them back, Lord, to a full and complete understanding of your revelation of yourself. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Pat's up here to pray with you after the service ends, uh, or even now if you want to start making your way down and uh, share in prayer, David, as well. Uh, we love to just make that connection with you. Visit the chapel store this morning. We're not asking you to buy anything. Just go over there and just uh, check out what they've done. Uh, ask them where the cool tiles are. And uh, just say, I want to see the tiles, and you'll be blessed. Uh, volunteer for Triple H. Get your bulletin right on the back of it, Triple H. And uh, get it in the offering box or hand it to an usher so that we can start scheduling for that. That's only three weeks out. The information on the women's conference you were given. And as I like to do every Sunday, 
encourage you to identify somebody that you don't know, you've never met, stranger to you, and at least just introduce yourself. Give them your name uh, and uh, tell them you're glad to see them this morning. May God bless you and keep you in Jesus' name. Amen.